If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21. We're going to continue our series, uh, getting close to wrapping it up. We'll do this week and next week on uh, commonly misused verses and how often we come to the Word of God looking for something. We find a verse, we slap it on a coffee mug, and that all of a sudden is our life verse. All the while, the context of the verse is not teaching anything near what we want it to teach. But we've looked at verses that seem to teach prosperity and wealth in this current age. And in the context, we've learned it actually speaks of prosperity and wealth in the coming age. But we've looked at verses that, that seem to be about corporate worship and come to find out they're about church discipline. But we've looked at verses that, that we teach one way, however, the scriptures actually teach completely the opposite. Some verses we, we see teach straightforwardly, but we apply it incorrectly and we misuse it. And, and this morning I want to look at a verse that I think that we often misapply and, and pull out of context and make it be what we want it to be. There are several places where we read about an eye for an eye, and the earliest place we find it is in Exodus chapter 21. And we'll be there in just a moment. As you're kind of turning there and getting settled, I want to remind you of what the greatest movie that's ever been made is. And if you've been at First Baptist Church for any length of time, you know the greatest movie in the history of movie is Princess Bride. And it's not really open for debate, okay? Uh, I can't find a scripture verse to back that up, but I'm sure that that is the greatest movie ever made. One of the plot lines in the movie is, is a, a Spanish man named Inigo, and early on as a child, we come to find out that a man who has six fingers had kind of a bad business deal with Inigo's father, and he had killed Inigo's father, and then left Inigo with scars on his face and, and stole uh, money from them and some other things. And, and his entire life growing up, Inigo Montoya has decided to make it his goal to find the six-fingered man. He has spent his entire life mastering swordsmanship so that when he meets a six-fingered man, he could, he could give him this pre-rehearsed speech that he says over and over again in the movie. You can tell it's been a part of his vengeance his entire life. He'll say to the six-fingered man, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And when he finally meets a six-fingered man, he looks at him and he says... Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And as he gets injured, he looks at him again, says hello, and again, and again, and again. And finally, he gets revenge towards the end of the movie. If I've spoiled it for you, there's lots of other good treasures in there. Go watch it. <laughs> However, at the end of the movie, he's speaking to his friend Wesley, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And he says, you know, it's strange. I've dedicated my entire life to vengeance, and I don't know what to do now. But while that's meant to be somewhat humorous, I wonder how many of us carry around a lifelong baggage of vengeance or revenge or bitterness. Somebody hurt us somewhere in our entire lives. Maybe we've not dedicated them to, to finding them and killing them. But every single day of our lives, it eats at us. It's a reminder constantly of, of how somebody wronged us, how somebody hurt us. I've spoken to, to several people in, in counseling times of, 
of this happened when I was younger and I thought I pushed it away only for it all to come back again. And I don't know what to do with this vengeance and this bitterness and this anger of how someone has hurt me. And often we'll hear a verse like Exodus 21 as a, as a justification for our own revenge. Certainly, if we read the verse together, you can see where we would get this justification. Let's look at Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25 together. Moses writes, But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, and stripe for a stripe. We, we read these verses and we can see why it seems appropriate, biblically, that we have the responsibility, maybe even the commandment, to go and find vengeance. So we become Inigo Montoya in our life's quest. If I ever see that person again, if I ever get a chance to speak to them, I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, Hello, <laughs> my name is Trey Reed. You hurt me as a young man. And now vengeance is mine. I wonder if, if this is the only place, if we can kind of brush it aside and say, you know, the whole of Scripture maybe teaches differently, and, and we'll kind of set it aside. But what we find in the Old Testament is there are several places that have this same wording, eye for an eye. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20. It's up on the screen, or you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. Fracture for a fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, your eye shall not pity, have no pity. It shall be a life for a life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for for foot. It seems as if we read the Old Testament and Moses especially is writing to us. If someone harms you, you should harm them back. It's only fair and it's only right. And we have this mindset, eye for an eye. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You come after me, I will come after you. The truth is, we understand that it is wrong as a Christian who is hurt to get vengeance, and we know that, but how do we deal with this passage that says, have no pity in Leviticus? Don't take pity on the person who hurts you. If they hurt your eye, you hurt their eye. If they squelch your spirit, you squelch their spirit. Another great movie about vengeance is a, a movie called The Count of Monte Cristo. And of course, it was a, a, before it was a movie, it was a book, and, and they've had several adaptations of it. It's a story of a, of a man who is wronged by his best friend and spends his whole life building himself up into this wealthy individual for what purpose? Just to get revenge. And of course, at the end, he finds that revenge is, is not as sweet and satisfying as he thought it would be. So, so what are we looking at here? Is Scripture teaching us to go and get revenge? To, to make amends for the wrongs that we have endured? That hurt that you've held on to? Are we supposed to, if the opportunity arises, return hurt for hurt, eye for eye, tooth for tooth? I think the most important thing we can do in all of this study is to look at the context of what we're looking at. So the first place that eye for an eye is ever mentioned in all of Scripture is in Exodus. We looked there just a moment ago, and I want to look there again in Exodus chapter 21. 
But instead of reading verses 23 through 25, I want to start in verse 22. So the verse right before this eye for an eye passage, what is Moses talking about? So in Exodus 21, verse 22, Moses gives a context. When men strike together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm... The one who hit her shall surely be fined, and the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as a judge determines. But if there's harm, then you shall pay life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a strife. It's interesting to me that that the context here is, is really not just any old damage, but this is specifically two men fighting together, and a pregnant woman gets in the way. Now, if you're ever looking for a law as specific as it can be, this is the one right here, right? It's not if, if you accidentally bump into her in the marketplace. It's not if, if you're fighting and you injure each other. No, no, no. This particular law is two men fighting together. One of their wives, who happens to be carrying a child, gets in the way, and in the middle of their fighting, you turn and whack her in the stomach, and it causes the baby to be born premature. Then... Then, if there's harm done, you'll take eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's pretty specific in what we're looking at here. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to other contexts, but this particular context, raise your hand if you've ever been in the middle of a dispute with a friend of yours and accidentally hit a pregnant woman. Anybody in here? <laughs> I've not. Now, I've bumped into my pregnant wife a few times, but that's more to do with... with, with it's, anyways, it happens sometimes, right? <laughs> None of us have been in that situation, right? None of us have been fighting. None of us have been arguing so much so that a pregnant woman happens to walk up. So the context here seems to be specific. Why is Moses getting so specific about this law? And why is he then saying, if if there's injury to the woman or the child, here's how you take care of it? I believe it's because, or I know it's because, in this particular culture and context, the punishment did not always fit the crime. They were barbaric people. And in some parts of the world today, they still carry on this barbaric nature. It was the whole culture of, if you steal bread, I cut off your hand, right? It's this culture of, if you lie to me, I cut out your tongue, right? The punishment did not always fit the crime. And, and what Moses is trying to establish here and in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy is not that you should go seek vengeance, but that you should not overpunish something. So, so if harm comes to the baby, and it would be an awful thing if it did, if the baby is born blind, that doesn't mean you execute the man. It means, in this particular case, that you probably make him blind. It's not that, that you would take it so far that you would, you would punish someone unnecessarily. You know what I love about this, this passage, though? is how here in Exodus we see the value God places on the unborn. This is an aside, by the way. This is a sermon within a sermon. But as we look at this passage, do you realize that that God has such care for the the baby inside the womb that if that baby's life is taken, then someone's life has to be paid for it? There's care and love for the unborn here. I'm getting off track. I just thought that was really, really amazing. So what we see here, I think the key is not person to person, but But instead, what we see is a legal law. Here's where we can kind of get the context of that. Look in verse 22, the second half of verse 22 again. The one who hit her shall surely be 
fine. Who imposes a fine? Can I just come up to someone and say, hey, I don't like what you did to me. You owe me $100. It doesn't work that way, right? Where do fines come from? A judge, a, a, a governmental organization, some sort of structure coming down. So the fine is set as a woman's husband shall impose and he shall pay as the judges determine. This is not a person-to-person matter. This is a legal matter. And that's where I think it's important. In civil matters, the crime should dictate the punishment. This is, this is an organized, governmental matter. We should rejoice in the justice of God that he is fair in his law. That the punishment fits the crime. There is comfort. There is, there is rest to be had knowing that God is a just and fair God. He does not allow the wicked to go unpunished. And in this particular case, he says, what the judges impose, you need to listen to. And judges, you should go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, stripe for a stripe. Unfortunately, we don't look at this verse as a civil matter, do we? We look at this as a personal matter. I should enact my own vengeance and judgment. I should be the jury. I should say, who gets what punishment? Whereas what Moses is saying is, listen to your governmental leaders. They are put in place for your fairness, your justice, and your goodness. Paul would expand on this in Romans chapter 13. If you want some reading this week, you can read Romans chapter 13 where Paul says, I want you to to be obedient to the governmental authorities. God has put them in place. Whether you, you think they're godly or not, God is in charge even of our world governments. Trust them. So we see here in civil matters, Moses is saying the punishment should fit the crime. Let's be fair and honest about things. That's why we can have rejoicing when we see a criminal brought to justice. There's sadness anytime there is, there is sin. But there is, there is rest in knowing that God brings sinful people to justice. We can simultaneously be saddened when we hear of, of someone put to death in capital punishment. And at the same time be thankful that, that God does not allow sin to go unpunished. In civil matters, we must trust that God has put people in place for the fairest, most balanced punishment to fit the crime. So in civil matters, we see crime dictates a punishment. What about in personal matters? But what are we supposed to do when we're wronged? What are we supposed to do when when the government doesn't step in or when it's not a a legal issue? What are we supposed to do when, when someone hurts us and they don't get arrested? Can you believe someone cut me off in traffic and the cop did not pull them over? What am I supposed to do? I think it's important for us to realize that Scripture teaches in personal matters, mercy dictates forgiveness. It's no longer about us getting revenge. It's about us showing mercy. Jesus shared a a little bit of information about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus is teaching, he says, You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So here we go. Jesus is about to give us some commentary on how we're supposed to handle these personal matters. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus says, If someone hurts you, 
don't do anything. This is kind of counterculture, isn't it? Jesus even takes it a little step further. If someone hurts you, don't intervene. Let them hit the other side. It's not your job to get in there and take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if, if someone smacks you, if someone hits you where it hurts the worst, you are not to retaliate. When I was a young elementary age boy, I was picked on quite a bit. Believe it or not, I wasn't always as regularly handsome as I am today. And so I, I was not always, not always the most popular kid in my, my class. So here about second or third grade, I can't remember exactly when, there was one boy in particular, I don't remember his name, and I just have a vague recollection of what he looks like. I'm pretty sure he looks like the bully from A Christmas Story, but I'm not really sure. Uh, All I know is that that he gave me a hard time every single day. So I got home and my stepdad said, well, you know what, you know how to put an end to that. Maybe you've told your kids this, right? If you turn around and pop him right between the eyes, he won't mess with you anymore. Well, here I am, I weigh all of 40 pounds in like third, fourth grade. I'm, I'm next to nothing, and so he starts kicking the back of my seat in class, and I turn around, and would you please stop kicking my seat? And it just gets more and more. So I did what my stepdad told me to do. Turned around and took all 40 pounds of my fist, and I basically tapped him in between the eyes because I wasn't very strong. But I, I hit him. Well, that led to a principal office. And can I tell you, that, that boy never bothered me again. His dad came in. We had a long talk. It was exposed. He was bullying me. And, and guess what? I want to confess to you, it took care of the problem. That boy never picked on me again. But I look back on that event and I think, is that how we're supposed to handle things? I stopped getting picked on, but, but I don't think I learned a lesson that was biblical. Now I cringe when I hear parents tell their kids, if someone picks on you, turn around and hit them. Where do we get that? Biblically, how do we justify that? When Jesus literally says, if someone slaps you, Turn around and let him hit the other one. We don't see anywhere, anywhere in all of Scripture that Jesus condones or acts in physical violence. Never. When he was being arrested and one of his apostles, Peter, draws a sword in defense and strikes a soldier, Jesus doesn't say, go get him, Peter. Thanks for having my back. He says, stop, put your sword down, and he heals the man. It's not the place for it. We don't see anywhere where Scripture says retaliate on a personal matter. Now, how do you deal with a bully at school? That's another sermon for another time. Scripture would say, well, I'll tell you what Jesus says. Scripture would say, kill him with kindness. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes a little further. He doesn't just say, hit him in the, or let him hit you in the other side of the cheek. Jesus says, why don't you spend some time serving them? Why don't you do the opposite of vengeance? Look at me in verses 40 through 42. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, uh, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Remember, this is in context of the person that just smacked you upside the head. Jesus says, whatever he asks, do it willingly and go above and beyond. It's amazing to me how often we decide that we want to be the judge, jury, and executioner of vengeance. When Jesus says, I've put authority in place to handle that. You turn the other cheek and love people. In personal matters, we're called to to show mercy. We're called to to seek forgiveness, to to extend forgiveness. We're called to, to love and to serve and to give. 
And it's so hard to do because we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to be Inigo Montoya. We want to punch someone in the nose. We want to get what is deserving to us. We want vengeance. We want to make things right. So how in the world can we ever come to a place personally where mercy dictates that we forgive? I think the key is understanding who revenge and vengeance belongs to. And in every matter, civil, personal, any wrongdoing, God dictates the justice. He is the one who is in control. That's why we we read in Romans, as Paul is writing to the, the Roman people, Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. How do we show mercy? We remember that we're not in control, but God is. We remember that people will continually hurt us, but God is just and fair, and God makes all things right. I love verses 20 through 21. Probably I take these out of context, so forgive me in my my midst of my twisted series that I get a little bit of, of cynical joy out of these verses, but maybe you will too. Verses 20 and 21 says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I love this, right? Lord, how can I get vengeance on someone? Do you know the scripture teaches us? You want to make someone really upset? You go and serve them and see how embarrassed they are of how they treated you. I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but it works. It really does. Someone who is just mean and awful to you. A little bit of kindness, a little bit of love, a little bit of mercy, and all of a sudden, they start feeling guilty. Uh, we, we found this out when um, Hannah had some health issues a number of years ago and uh, when she was, I think, maybe pregnant with Callie and we spent some, maybe Ashton, I can't remember, spent some time in the hospital and these nurses were not real pleasant nurses in, in Paducah, Kentucky. Um, this one nurse in particular, oh, Bertha, bless her heart, Bertha, she, she struggled. She just, she wanted to, to help, I think, I don't know, but she was just mean and rude and was going to do things her way. And somewhere along the line, Hannah and I talked, and we, we made a flip, and we said, instead of being mad at these nurses, why don't we just be so thankful, just as much as we can, just, just butter them up, tell them how much we appreciate them. So we, we spent the, the next rest of the afternoon just, thank you so much. Can I have an extra pillow? You're so kind. I know this is hard on you, and we just love you. And Wouldn't you know it? Those nurses went from being mean and rude and my way of the highway to, man, bringing ice chips and pillows and anything you want. You know, you can have it. You know what we found? The bitterness dissolved when mercy and grace and love was shown. It was, it was like night and day difference. It was amazing how things changed. But really, I think those nurses become embarrassed. Like, I was so mean to you a minute ago, and you love me anyways. I'm telling you, this heaping burning coals actually works, but, but what happens is it doesn't just change their disposition, it changes our disposition. Now instead of us wanting revenge... All of a sudden, we see the love of God. We understand what what Jesus went through when he said, while you were enemies of mine, while you were running from me, I loved you and I died for you. We start to understand that vengeance belongs to God and he will make things right. Our job, our job is just to show mercy. That's why in verse 21 of Romans 12, Paul writes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In every matter, in every circumstance, in every hardship, in every persecution, 
allow God to dictate what is just and what is right. No, Scripture does not tell us that if someone injures us, we are to injure them. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What Moses teaches us is to trust the government that God has in place. As much as we we are able and can be faithful to the Word of God, we are to also submit then to those above us. In personal matters, we're to love, we're to serve, we're to give, and we're to pray that God would enact the justice according to His perfect will and not our faultless will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness. Lord, we sing of Your goodness this morning. You are so good to me. Lord, forgive me for forgetting of your goodness and your justice. Forgive me that, that I, I act as if I have to get revenge myself, forgetting the whole time that you're a good, just, and perfect God. Lord, when I'm hurt, let me show mercy. Lord, when someone wrongs me, let me, let me serve. Lord, let my life be dictated not by my drive and desire to get even, but by my drive and desire to glorify you through your love and mercy. Lord, this morning we're, we're very mindful of the fact <clears throat> that not only did we run and sin against you, but we were your enemies and we hated you. We're reminded of the fact that, that not only Scripture teaches, but our own life, our own testimony tells us there was a time when, when we deserved your wrath and your vengeance. And yet, because of your grace and your goodness, because of your mercy, instead of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, Lord, you, you died on the cross and you served and you gave. But we submit to you this morning, knowing that your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your justice, your fairness, Lord, your characteristics are perfect and right, and we trust you. But we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.